This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. One question I have to try to help some people who have the gap, what advice would you give them how they could start to close that gap for themselves? I believe if you really dig in and start to do some things to look at your identity, and it comes from all of our life experiences, everything that we've gone through, it comes from what people have said to us. It also comes from what we think people think about us, our identity, our values, our passions, all these things underneath the hood um, color what we think in a, in a given instant. Then we have to identify our feelings. How do I want to feel? Because if you actually look at all, all the research on how habits are formed, right? We have a thought, a feeling, and an action, repeated actions become habit. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is John Ramstead. You are a former Navy fighter pilot. You're a leadership coach, international podcast host, and author of the Top 100 Leadership Blog for Executives, Managers, and CEOs. Inc. Magazine recently named you Top 12 Leaders to be Listening to. You're also the author of the new book, On Purpose, With Purpose. John, welcome to the show. Roger, great to be here, buddy. We have a lot to talk about today. And uh, first thing I want to ask is, how are you feeling? I know you went through a lot um, with uh, getting COVID. How is your health? How are you feeling right now? Oh, you know, fr frankly, I have a long way to go. I'll, you know, most of the people I know, it's been a mild cold or flu, which mine was for the first three days, but two weeks into it, um, I could barely breathe and had 105 degree fever, ended up in a, a week in the ICU. Um, and every day it got worse. It was interesting to see how that affected actually my, my, my kids because we couldn't see each other. It's now uh, five weeks since I've gotten out of ICU and I'm still on oxygen. It pretty much tore up my lungs pretty good and my, affected my heart. So I don't know what it looks like moving forward, Roger. And uh, so we're actually just trying to make the best of every day, but there's so much to be grateful for. That's what I'm really focused, trying to focus on. And John, I, I have not talked to anyone in your situation. I've seen a lot of stories on the news, but can you talk to us a little bit about the experience? And look, I mean, this, this has obviously affected everyone worldwide, but uh, some people have, have actually got it like you did, but what do you think, you know, what were you thinking about when it got progressively worse, when you were in the hospital, when you were in ICU, what were the doctors saying? Is there still a lot of unknowns? There's a ton of, that's the, that's the hardest thing about this is there is no precedent. The doctors are, when I got out based on where I was at said, listen, you could expire and die, or you could be off oxygen in, you know, uh, two to four weeks. There's, I mean, they were very candid and uh, there's like, there's, you know, we can't, and now it's, you know, what, almost, I guess, um, actually a month and a half out, just saw my cardiologist this, this week and they're kind of the same way. They're like, well, we're just going to keep testing and figuring out and working on the, 
the symptoms. They don't know how all the interplay is. They do know the lungs were definitely scarred. I had pneumonia from COVID. I, I think the hard thing was, you know, I'm, I'm a man of a very strong faith. I mean, I know where I'm going, but walking into the hospital, wondering if that would be the last time I'd see my wife in person. Because I knew once I was up in the COVID ward, um, there's no visitors, right? We FaceTimed a few times. Um, that honestly was hard. And then, and then, you know, here's something else too to kind of bring it out is I think all of us, we probably know somebody or we work with somebody who's a family member has either passed away um, or has had maybe been affected with COVID like us or the economy uh, has caused uh, harm to them because of COVID. And I think people are at a level of stress and anxiety and fear, maybe even right now, than they actually haven't been before. And I think a lot of our nature, because where I think most people are just really good people is to not complain. But now I believe is a time more than ever just to reach out to people, have a conversation, ask them how they're really doing. And uh, you know, we'll probably talk about my accident and if somebody is going through a hard time, don't ask them how you can help. Because when you're in that place, it is, I know for me, it was so hard to either ask for help or even know what I needed. But when I was, when I've had some really challenging health in the past and people would come up and say, hey, you know what, Roger, this is what you, you're going through right now. We're going to come over and clean your house. We're going to come over and give you a meal. We're going to do, we're going to make sure your kids get to school. So you can find some ways to serve some folks that are going through a hard time. I'll guarantee you it's going to be incredibly meaningful for them. Wow. No, and I was just going to say, this is not your first bout with adversity. Um, uh, yeah, back in 2011, you went through a, a very traumatic accident. And I would love if you could tell us about that, John, and go back to September 9th of 2011 and let us know what happened that day. Yeah, that was, uh, boy, that was a one of those days that will just live in my history, right? After getting out of the Navy and having this long business career, I was just in the middle of starting a, a new company with some, some great friends and partners. And I got invited up to a retreat in Montana to, uh, uh, with Dr. Dobson. Uh, he just started a new nonprofit called Family Talk. But so we get up on there on Thursday and Friday, we're going to go horseback riding, Roger, to the back of this property and have lunch and get to know each other. It's just a small group, 14, 15 people. I'm the first one saddled and my horse starts trotting out into this big open area. And all of a sudden he just bolts and he takes off and I'm laying flat on my back and his rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades. And I was scared to death. I was going to get flipped off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and get killed. And I had never been on a horse other than, you know, a trail ride, you know, they're right in front of you, just plodding along. And I did the one thing, the only thing, my first reaction was to squeeze with my legs as hard as I could. So I wouldn't flip off the horse. Now I didn't read the owner's manual because I didn't know in that moment, I was telling that horse to go faster. <sighs> this was actually a very highly trained horse that wasn't supposed to be in the lineup for a trail ride. And that dude responded. He found another gear. I, I, I got my weight back up in the saddle and we are going so fast. I mean, you're what, your head's up, what, 20 feet in the air, 15 feet in the air. I was, I've been in combat. I've been shot at. I, I mean, I've been through a lot. 
Nothing prepared me for that moment. I tried to get him to turn. I tried to get him to stop. Nothing worked. We were heading straight at a series of steel corral fences and they were getting closer and closer and closer and closer and I couldn't get him to turn them. It just absolutely didn't compute. Right in front of the fence, I remember everything just slowed down. I had a perfect moment of clarity. And I said to myself, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing I remember. Um, somebody who was there watching said the horse, as he came into the fence, he, he bucked so hard, he flipped over, slammed into the fence, rump first. And when he did that, he launched me Superman head first into a three inch rolled steel beam. So I crushed the entire left side of my skull. I broke eight teeth. Um, I actually broke virtually every bone in my skull, except for my jaw and my right cheekbone. I broke my neck, uh, C2, fractured C4, shattered my shoulder. And then the next bar down crushed the left side of my rib cage. And one of the broken ribs punctured my left lung. And I woke up on the ground I was out for a while, but I woke up on the ground into more pain than I could even describe. I mean, panic, peer, fear, pain. People were holding me down. I was yelling, screaming, writhing around. I didn't even know I was doing that in my head. I'm just trying to get away from the pain. Um, you know that saying, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle? Yes. It's not true. I'm <laughs> just telling you that was beyond anything that I was equipped for in that moment. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys there said, oh, John, I just watched you relax. Like you were sinking into the ground. He, he thought he had just watched me die. And to put this in context, um, I spent five weeks in ICU and then 20 months at a hospital here in Denver with a severe traumatic brain injury. I had 23 surgeries. Uh, we heard from multiple doctors. What happened to me was literally not survivable because there was so much brain damage from where they impacted me in the front left side. And best case scenario, had I recovered, uh, I should have been like Christopher Reeves in a wheelchair intubated because of the C2 fracture. So I'm on the ground and all of a sudden, um, Brad sees me relax and I was right then in that moment, I was in God's presence. And the love that was coming off of him had this power, this force. It was emanating. Uh, if I dwell on it too long in any interview, even this nine years later, I, I just get emotional. And it had a, had a weight to it. Like when you're at the ocean and waves are coming in on the beach and they're flowing up over your body, it was like that. It was washing over me. And as it washed over me, the first thought when I felt this, because I had never understood unconditional love, because that's what this was. Nothing I'd ever done in my life, and I'd done some stupid stuff, was even relevant. I remember thinking, I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. And then as this washed over me, all that pain and panic and fear was completely gone. And then God told me he was going to, he said, uh, the first thing he said to me is this voice that came from everywhere and nowhere. And it wasn't to my ears. It was like this consciousness flowing through me. But he said, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And just, I don't know if you know where that comes from. I did not at the time. That's not where I was at, to be honest with you. It comes from Romans. But then he told me, he said, John, I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he left. 
and I opened my eyes or my eyes were already open, but I looked up at the woman next to me who was a paramedic. And I said, Hey, you don't have to worry. God's here. Said it's going to be okay. And she's like, yeah, right. She did. She's been a paramedic in Montana for 30 years. And she's, she did not expect me to even survive until life flight, which was going to take an hour. The helicopter got there. And then, um, so fast forward. So there's a lot of places we can go. Maybe I can just tell you one story that I think kind of was a defining moment in this. Is that okay? Yeah. And it's just, uh, the, the story itself is incredible. Just want to take a moment, uh, to talk about that. And, you know, we, we all think about what's going to happen when we die, right? We hear stories of people who were near death and, and again, this is the first time I've ever talked to someone that has had this experience. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. But yes, if you could share another story, that would be, that would be wonderful. It was a couple of days after the accident. Um, they called my wife and said, hey, you need to get up here right away with the boys. It doesn't look good. It was one of those kind of phone calls. And I didn't know at the time my life was, ab- everything in my life was about to change. Because what I heard, Roger, at the accident is you're going to be healed. Like I'm thinking I'm walking out of here next week. I even texted a business partner. We had a big meeting, right? We're starting a company. He's like, yeah, uh, like don't cancel that meeting. I'll be there. This meeting was like two weeks out. I ended up in the hospital for two more years. Um, so you can see I'm kind of a, you know, glass half full. Yes, know, kind of I guy. see that. <laughs> so, but I was convinced it was going to be short term, but I'll never forget though. This is a few days into it. Things are really getting bad. Uh, my, my, my kids had gone back to Denver. Um, they really didn't want them there just because of how I was, uh, which was actually a good decision. The neurosurgeon walks in, says, we need to do a craniotomy. We need to take off your whole skull, which they actually ended up doing twice, to fix all this stuff because it's really bad. And if we don't, and, and here's, the, here's the, you know how doctors are, right? Like yep. you could die right? Um, here's all the complications. But the, uh, the thing that really stuck with me, though, is he's talking about the chances of success. He also said to my wife, you know, the chances of him being the person you remember are oh, moderate. I'm like, what? And then he looks at my wife and he goes, hey, um, Donna, does John have a will and does he have a living will? And we had actually just redone all this. Roger, we were actually supposed to sign it when we got back from this trip. And he said, listen, we can do the surgery in the morning, but not any longer. But can you call your attorney and get it FedExed up here? Because I really want John to sign that before we go into surgery. And Donna in shock is like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go call her right now, our attorney. So they leave the room and I'm laying there, even though I had this, ex, this near-death experience and there's, some, there's so much more to it we could explore at some point. But I was convinced that the next weekend was my funeral. Hmm. And so I started, I'm laying there in the this room and I start playing the tape. And, you know, what is every, what is, what would everybody say at the front of the church? Right. Well, everybody says nice things. I mean, that's what you do. And then I'm like, well, what would everybody say at the back of the church? You know, and they're all rooting around for fried chicken and potato salad. What if I could eavesdrop on some of those conversations? And what would they say? Let's say you and I knew each other and we'd even work together in the industry, whatever it is, what would you say a year or two later? And I saw in that moment, the sum total of my life at, at 45 years old. 
And I started thinking about these two concepts. And the first one was inheritance. Like, what am I going to leave to my wife and kids? And I think from that standpoint, we'd be in a decent place. But I started thinking a legacy, Roger. What have I left in my boys? I have three boys. What have I left in my wife? Have I lived a life so the use of my life would outlive my life? And for me, the answer was no. And I just want to tell people as I recovered, and this most difficult thing ever, I mean, a brain injury, front left lobe, I had no social control. I had no emotional control. This was hard. My wife went from being a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling our kids, I was providing all the income, to being my caregiver and wondering how we were going to pay bills. I mean, everything was turned upside down in an instant, and we had no idea that we still had two years ahead of us. Um, how were do you, you get conscious, John? Were you conscious? Um, I was passed out for about 10 minutes when I hit the fence, and I woke up on the ground, and then other than induced unconsciousness for surgery. Right. Than con- yeah. But you were there as the doctor was talking to you about the options. You, you were, you were participating. Oh yeah. No, I was sitting there. I was, it was like watching a tennis match. He was not talking to me. He was actually talking to Donna. He was sharing all this with Donna. Um, I'm the one that had to sign the form. Actually, um, Donna was the one that had to sign the form, but they let me sign the will. So if I had that, I don't even know if it'd be valid, but anyway, that's another, that's a whole nother point, but yeah. Man, that is uh, just incredible. And, and I think the most incredible part about it is what you heard or what you were told about being healed. And I could see where this is going when you started thinking about your legacy what were you going to leave? So give us a little bit more. Yeah. So think about this, right? When I had this awareness, I mean, what, what do you do, Roger, when you're given one of the most beautiful gifts in the world? And that's a second chance. And as I'm recovering, even this was so hard, I got through it because I focused on hope, if you want to know the truth. And there was days, sometimes there was five-minute segments, and people can relate. If you've gone through personal adversity, addiction, divorce, uh, betrayal, I mean, there's the complete loss of everything financially. Um, and in that middle of that storm, when the, when the noise and pressure of life is, just feels like it's going to crush you. And when I was at Craig Hospital, I saw some people give in to the, that noise and pressure and they spiraled down into this, this dark place. I, I think the only way I could describe it is as an observer is like as a victim. Like life just happened to me. It's not fair. And while that is true and it sure feels that way, uh, I saw where they got to and I'm like, that scares me. What I had to focus on was tomorrow could be better than today. And if it wasn't, and often it wasn't, maybe next week could be. But God did tell me all things work together for good. And I'm like, I held on to that as a promise. That was, the, that was like this thing that was my fingertips were on the edge of the ledge and I was hanging on, but that was the handhold, honestly, at some points that I was just holding on to, just trusting that the handhold wasn't going to come off the cliff. 
And as I recovered, what I realized was, I'm like, okay, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What, what do I do with this gift? And I never felt, because uh, I've talked to other people who've been through the same thing. Uh, I feel fortunate. I never felt of it as this giant burden or obligation to go discover, to step into. I honestly just saw it as this gift that I was just going to kind of see what happened. That led me, though, to this process, because my whole life, I, I, you know, as a fighter pilot, entrepreneur, some serious highs, serious lows, right before the accident, when I was probably from, if you'd met me in the, uh, before September 2011, you know, my job, my position, my career, our house, just everything, you know, the charities I worked with, you're like, wow, you know, the guy's on a really good track. He's doing great. I'd never been so miserable. I was in a place that I described as smoldering discontent. And I think one of the things that's most vexing to the human mind is when we know what kind of life we could have, we know what kind of capabilities that are in us to achieve that, but we're not accessing it. And I wasn't aware of that at the time, but it, this gap was so big. That's why I was just so miserable. And I figured I, ha I have to close this gap because I'd been searching for purpose and meeting and a lot of it had been external. I was allowing it, allowing it to be given to me from people outside of me, my job, my career. I call it the tyranny of they, right? What do they expect? Uh, what do they want from me? What do they uh, want me, how, you know, how to show up as all these things, right? As I was trying to meet all these things, what, what are their standards of success? And I could never find it. I felt like this whole notion of personal purpose, my big why that we all talk about was like this buried treasure and I either wasn't worthy or I wasn't equipped yet. And my only response to that was just to work harder. Huh. Right. Um, I always, I used to joke to people, Hey, I know I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm going to try to outwork everybody around me. As I recovered and I realized I have the second chance I started figuring out, I was sitting down with a coach one day and the coach, I, I, I said to my coach, um, you know, I, I got to figure out how I'm wired. Then I can figure out what I'm wired for. Right. And so not to get too spiritual, but he, he said to me, he goes, John, what if you asked yourself, how did God wire you and what did he wire you for? Hmm. I mean, I, I mean, he can't, he, there's a reason that I'm not dead. So I actually started on this quest, instead of looking for the purpose, I started trying to figure out who I really was. And what I realized was, Roger, as the person I saw in the mirror, with all my experiences and limiting beliefs and things that I've gone through in life, things that have been said to me, like the fact that I could never succeed as an entrepreneur and you know other things that I had let in, actually untruths, lies that I actually accepted about me as truth. And that colors, I mean, you create this operating system, just like your computer is completely running in the background. And it is, it is, it has a lot of power. And I wasn't even aware of all this. What I realized was that person I saw in the mirror. And then as I, as I did some, you know, digging and I said, okay, that is the best version of John. What does that look like? And the gap between the two was significant. And what I found is the bigger that gap is, I think, this is how you know you're not living in your 
alignment with who you're really, you're that best version, the level of stress, anxiety, anger, frustration that comes up all the time, working, addiction, all these things um, is, is completely, is a direct correlation of how big the gap is. What I found is I worked and closed that gap. All those things started to melt away. Wow. John, I have the chills as you're speaking um, for a lot of reasons. One, because I feel for your whole situation, but I've been through a lot of this adversity myself. Yeah. So it's interesting to talk to someone else who's been through it. Obviously, you've gone through it in a much different way. Uh, more physical, um, but the same after effect is there where the stresses go away. The calmness comes in. You don't worry about the things you used to. And, you know, we're never, I think, perfectly there, but you could definitely close the gap where things get better and better and better. And you may have a setback, but then you could get better and better again. So it's just wonderful to hear you talking about your experience with this. And one question I have on the, on the outside of that to try to help some people who have the gap, because yeah. many of us do, and, but they haven't gone through an accident. They haven't had any, you know, thing to trigger them. What advice would you give them how they could start to close that gap for themselves? You know, it starts I believe if you really dig in and start to do some things to look at your identity. I mean, that, that's why I started my book with that as a section. Now think about it, our self-identity, right? There's that, that person we see in the mirror and there's the best version. How do we even find it? And it comes from all of our life experiences, everything that we've gone through. It comes from what people have said to us. It also comes from what we think people think about us. Think about that with social media, but let's just say uh, I'm, I'm a young, you know, when I was young and I'm in a meeting in the, in the business, the CEO is in the room and, and, I, and I have something to share and he just looks at me funny and dismisses me, right? I'm going to probably fill in that gap and say, okay, he doesn't, he doesn't think I'm competent. And a lot of that is being colored by, right? So what you can do when I was... Uh, First getting started, I got to tell you, this has been a great journey with some incredible mentors, but um, a good friend of mine said, okay, John, let's look at in each situation, let's break it down. There's a, something that happens in your environment, right? Your wife says something to me or, or not your wife, my wife, my wife says something to me or gives me a look. And all of a sudden we're in an argument. I had to slow down and take some time and say, okay, when she did that or made, you know, sighed or whatever it was, what was my first thought? How, what is my thinking? Because our, our identity, our values, our passions, all these things underneath the hood um, color what we think in a, in a given instant. Then we have to identify our feelings. Like here, here's a great example. I think first thing um, I had a real, because of just my work, working and being frustrated and angry a lot. I did not have a good relationship with my boys going into this. And then as the recovery happened, it actually got worse just because of my brain injury. Now I'm like, okay, one of my biggest things I'd love to do is restore that. So I'm walking through the family room and I look outside, grass needs to be cut. I look at my 15 year old son and I say, 
you know, Michael, cut the grass. He, he looks up at me and just says, no. Military guy, CEO, first response, it, it, I didn't even know at the time because it had become a habit, was absolute anger. And we had a very loud conversation and I got the lawn mowed. Now, two weeks later, and then I realized in the interim, I said, darn it, not the goal to get the lawn mowed. I have to change who I am and how I'm showing up. How do I do that? And I thought about it and this was hard. So I said, okay, Michael's going to do that again. He's going to either be short or sarcastic or rude or defiant. What do I want to think instead of that's disrespectful? And I said, okay. And I had to write it down because I think if we can't pre-experience before we're in the moment, we're not going to make the change. And I said, okay, what I want to think is he's going to be an adult soon. This is an incredible opportunity for me to mentor him and have a conversation that that builds a relationship. How do I want to feel? Because if you actually look at all, all the research on how habits are formed, right? We have a thought, a feeling, and an action, repeated actions become habit. I said, okay, well, I'm, what, what I felt was anger. And that had become such a habit. Actually, identifying the new emotion was hard. And I said, okay, here's the new emotion. Unconditional love. Hmm. What I felt at that accident, I had never felt it before. And, and my son had never felt it from me. No wonder we're a little bit off base here. And then I said, what's the action I want to take is to have a calm conversation. Well, Sure enough, he gave me a great <laughs> chance to practice this. Two weeks later, the lawn is long again. And it just popped into my head, Michael, I need to mow the lawn. He didn't even look up from his phone this time. He just said no. Now, my first response was tightness in the chest. You know what I'm feeling about? Oh, yeah. As things ride, the adrenaline is flowing. And I had to remember what I wrote down and thought about. And I'm like, okay. So I calmly sat down next to him. And I said, okay. I get to mentor him. I need to show him unconditional love. Um, and I said, I said, Michael, when you said no, what did no mean? He was totally confused. Like, this is not what he expected, right? So he put his phone down. He's like, well, duh, dad, I, I got hockey today. I got two practices. I got to pick up Ollie. I won't even be home till 10 tonight. There's no way I can mow the lawn. I'm like, oh, is that what no meant? He's like, yeah, I'm like, I had to not get angry again. And it was just a great conversation, I, you know, to now start saying, hey, buddy, you know what, when you talk like this, you're, sar- you're sarcastic, you don't, you know, talk that way, you know, this, if, if you can you see how that affects, you know, with your coach and girlfriends and friends. Um, and then he said, hey, dad, but you know what, you didn't give me a chance to. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, dad, you hate when people come up and demand something of your time, don't you? I said, yeah. He goes, well, that's what you just did to me. I'm like, whoa. Wow. So you know what I did right there in the moment? I apologized to him. And I said, you can hold me accountable because this is what I want. I want to have a great relation. And uh, is there anything else? But now that started a healing of a relationship, Roger, that was, I didn't even know how important it was going to be because two years later, and when he was a senior in high school, he got a classmate pregnant. And instead of uh, getting an abortion, he came and talked to me. He would not have done that prior to this happening. And th- today I have a three and a half year old grandson who's <laughs> the absolute light of my life. And me and my son, 
have never been closer. That's awesome. we can, you know, and I share a lot of this in the book, this whole journey, there's a lot in there, but I'm a huge fan of like simple steps. What are some of those small things that I can do and focus on and do today that can just start over time, right? I've been working on this for nine years, right? It's, it's a journey, um, but I knew I could create a life that was extraordinary. And I did not have that before the accident. And that's why I said, I got to write everybody's telling me you got to write your book and just tell us what you did. Cause I also realized that this, when I work with clients and whether they're fortune 100 CEOs, leaders in the military and at the Pentagon, this is honestly the, a very similar process that I bring them to, because when you become a better version of yourself, you can help others around you do the same thing. And you look at a lot of the problems in society today. What if every one of us looked at everybody else, regardless of their beliefs, their values, their political system, their experiences, and saw the unique value of that person as a human versus putting them in a box and either like in the work environment, seeing them as an object to get my work done to help me succeed. Um, That is a movement that I believe we are a part of and it's taking hold and it's changing. And there's so many other people like what you're doing, sharing these stories. I don't know. I personally feel like this is an exciting time. I'm with you. I am with you. There's, you know, a lot of people tell others that it's the most negative time in the, in, in, in history of the world. Right. Yeah. But I disagree. I agree with you. I think there's so much opportunity and there's, there's, there's so much um, that the world is onto as a whole, because we are connected like never before, especially because of social media. And uh, man, I'm, I'm curious how your relationship may have changed or improved with the other, you know, uh, your other children, your wife and friends, things like that. Yeah. So before the accident, I think just because I was uh, Mr. Grumpy, um, I mean, there was, and I had, I had, I have taken, you know what I realized in this, and this was one of the harder things to do is to take, I had to take responsibility for some of the outcomes. I could not blame a rocky marriage on my wife, but that's what I did beforehand and a bad marriage on, you know, um, you know, annoying teenagers. And when I took responsibility for that, my wife would tell you that today, like we've never been closer. I'll tell you this, Roger, through this process of working on me, everything has been restored. Still working on the financial piece. We dug a huge hole. I had like a seven figure lean against me for medical bills and had no income for two and a half years. I mean, you don't expect that when you're 45. Everything else currently, my the, the relationship with my wife, the relationship with my three boys, the relationship with my mom that was very difficult. Uh, we just, we were on the phone this morning for 45 minutes. I never thought that would happen. And what I found, you know, here's something interesting that I found, you know, you know how hard it was to find that purpose before. And it's because I was doing it backwards. So this is kind of my big idea, honestly, in the book. And that is when you, when you connect with your best self and and you start to close, you just, you don't have to close the gap, but you start to close the gap. Um, Because the, especially in the leadership world that I'm in, everybody talks about the why, the what, and the how, and those are very important. But Roger, let's say you were my mentor. 
and I was flawed and angry and took shortcuts and you give me your best teaching in the world, but I ran it through somebody that just wasn't showing up well. I would not get the results that you got when you went through that or other people that you're mentoring because it's all about the who. And as I worked on the who and that got in, you know, closer to that better version, all of a sudden for me, it's almost like the sense of purpose was in the middle of a field and it was just covered with fog and I could never find it. And it's like the, for me, the fog just cleared. And I realized I'd been going about it backwards my whole life. And isn't that another word for awareness? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, people listening, Stanford Graduate School did a, 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 a research survey. They looked at leaders, thousands of leaders across business, ministry, government, politics, and said, okay, the people that we would categorize as extraordinary, that are recognized, is there one thing? Do they have one thing in common? Like you have Steve Jobs, who's an introvert and very aggressive, and other people that are very gentle and kind. But there was one thing, and that was the one self-awareness. Yeah. And I think as, as not just leaders, but just as humans, what I have found is I had to slow down and work on some of these areas in order to speed up and accelerate towards something that was actually really meaningful and worthwhile for me. Totally. No, it's, it's such an important topic. And look, awareness is a part of everything. So for example, when I first started podcasting, and maybe you could relate to this too, because you've been doing it for a long time, I wasn't aware. Like I wasn't really listening to my guests because I was thinking about the next question I was going to ask. I'm a much different podcaster today, whether it's, whether I'm better or worse, I don't know, but I know <laughs> one thing I'm more aware. Yes. I'm, now I, you know, like I'm, I feel like I'm really connecting with you because I'm listening to you and your story. And I feel the emotion of it. Whereas before I was just going through the motions of it. So it's interesting to say, uh, or to hear that Stanford um, result was self-awareness. I'm not surprised. Yeah. And you know what, that all really comes from emotional intelligence. And, uh, um, you know, one of the, one, you know, one of the great pieces of advice I got uh, from a mentor early on out of my Navy days, getting into my business career, um, he said, listen, go read 10 minutes a day of a book. Um, I mean, not 10 minutes, 10 pages oh, a 10. day. And he handed me how to win friends and influence people. Oh, Right. And I now reread that every year. The other one I reread every year is leadership and self-deception, which is a deep dive into how our identity things, especially that are not on track, color the narratives and the stories that we tell ourselves about situations that we're in. And that's called being in the box when you're deceived. And how do you undeceive yourself, so to speak? It's, uh, but anyway, and, and then also, um, I think the other thing that's been so helpful for me is community and relationships, putting people around me intentionally that also are striving for things that want to have a great marriage, that want to have a, an amazing lifelong relationship with their kids, that want to build an extraordinary business or have a career that's meaningful, um, covers their, their needs, their finances and their giving, but also has a bigger purpose in life. And I started surrounding myself with people that were on the path that I was on. And that, that has made for me a huge difference. And isn't it something, I'm so glad you talked about that because I wrote about that in my last book as well. 
and, it, and I want people to understand this that are listening, when, when you just have that thought press, process of being with people that are like-minded, something magically happens in that those people are, you, you get attracted to each other. So I don't know how it happens or why it happens, but I'm sure you could relate that people will just show up or you will show up into their world. And it's like, how did that happen? You know, the, 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 the magnetic force of the energy, because you're now opening up your heart to allow that in it's, it's incredible. It's magical. You know, you said magnetic force. Couldn't agree more. When you start making small changes and you start, you start understanding um, kind of your own true north, those things that you're going to use to make course corrections, where you're going and where I'm at now, and you're starting to make some steps to close those gaps. I have found every single time, all of a sudden I run into somebody that maybe it's like you and we get together and we have coffee. And all of a sudden, somebody I met a few, you know, a few months ago is now like this person I can't wait to hang out and spend time with. Yeah. And um, like Jim Rohn said, right, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yes. And you know what? I think it's important to look at that. I'll, I'll never forget. I was asked once to be mentored by a guy who was a billionaire. I was, and I was so excited and flattered at first. And I'm sitting there. I was actually talking to my dad about it. And he goes, okay, well. How's his marriage? I'm like, well, I think it's pretty good because it's his third. Maybe he's got it figured out by now. You know, what's his relationship with his kids? Well, they don't talk. My dad said, well, if you take his advice, you're going to get his results. So do you want to be rich and lonely or do you think you should find a different mentor? Wow. Like, good advice, dad. I chose not to be mentored by him. Right. And I, cause I knew I probably wasn't smart enough to use the shopping cart method, like what to put in my cart and what to maybe leave on the shelf. So I, it's really important to think through these things. John, we didn't plan to talk about this next topic, but I have to ask you because it's where my mind is going right now. And I feel the next stage to all this is manifestation, right? I mean, we, again, we talk about magnetic, magnetic force, but we, are so powerful. And I just want more and more people to understand this when you're open to it, when you're aware, you can set your path, right? You, you can predict your future as far as where you want to go, the people you want to be around, the, you know, the, the career you want to have, the life you want to lead. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. And if that plays at all into the new you. The best you. So before the accident, I felt like this track that I was on, the work that I was in, the obligations that I had, had eliminated options in my life. Now we always have a choice, but we feel like making a choice has too big of a consequence, even though I'm miserable, but I'm going to just make the best of it. What I realized was before the accident, I always had the power to rewrite my script, but I didn't understand that. Like you are into publishing and writing books and you can, I could sit down and write a book from the present day all the way through my 85th birthday. And what if I wrote down today in, the, in my deepest desires of my heart that would just bring me so alive and fill me with so much joy and, and emotion 
what would people say on my 85th birthday if they all my friends and family got together and were sharing? I could write a book that took me from today to that day in the future. And here's what I realized is the second chance that I've been given, Roger, is not unique to me. I am not special. What I have, what I understand now is that every single day of my life prior to that accident was a second chance every morning I got up and I did not understand that. And here's the great news tomorrow for everybody listening, regardless of what's going on in your life and how good or bad it is or areas of your life are, are not too, you know, good, but some are really below par. Tomorrow is a second chance. You can take a small step and guess what? If you blew it today and you blow it tomorrow, the day after that is another second chance. So with that concept, we've come up with our family and my boys and we talk about it is a saying and it's excellence is the standard, but grace is the word. Because hmm. when I understand I have a second chance and I want to just be better, maybe with a, that family member, because I know it's causing damage, causing me some mental anguish or whatever it happens to be. And I react again and we get in an argument, we hang up the phone. Well, guess what? I'm going to, instead of, I'm, I'm going to ask myself two questions. Okay, is there anything at all in that conversation I did well? Maybe the answer is no. Maybe the one thing that I did well is I actually picked up the phone and called them because that's a huge step forward. And is there anything that I learned? And when I mess up, I need to not only forgive myself because you're going to mess up, you're going to be angry and frustrated but give yourself the grace and give others the grace you're trying to change. And guess what I've come to know is these folks that I find so difficult sometimes, the limiting beliefs, the lies that are stuck in their identity, the experiences they've had that I'll probably never understand, even people close to me, their operating system is coloring how they react. And I'm now hyper aware of the fact that that might have nothing to do with me. And so what if I just give them the grace and judge them by them being a good person versus them having an agenda? And I got to tell you what, just that for me, Roger, freed me up. So I would just tell people, hey, when you wake up tomorrow morning, grab a piece of paper and say, if today really is my second chance, what is one small thing that I would change that would just give me a little bit more peace, maybe a little bit more joy, move me toward a little bit more fulfillment, whatever is most important to you. And I think you'll be amazed at just doing a small step like that, what it can do for you. Wow. Love that, John. So let's talk about On Purpose with Purpose, your new book. It'll be released very soon. Talk about the process if you can, uh, writing that book, how did all of it come together and give us a little insight about what we could expect to read inside? Well, the, what's inside the book is that everything I've shared with you guys, this journey that I have been on from somebody, I think, who was broken and discontent and did not fulfill, feel fulfilled with my life, frustrated, um, to somebody today who I would say is completely on purpose. I know why I do everything that I do. I know exactly what to say yes and no to, which, oh my gosh, that's awesome, right? Um, and I wake up every morning totally excited. And what I realized, it was interesting. Uh, it was a good friend of mine 
I was, I was coaching him and uh, he's a business owner. And he goes, John, you just walked me through this process, man. I've never had, you know, outcomes like this working with a coach before. He's worked with a number of coaches. He goes, come here, we're going over to the whiteboard. One of the busiest guys I know, Roger. And he said, okay, I want you to start, think about from the beginning, what is this process? You, I said, well, it's not really a process. You know, it's all, we're just kind of working together and I'm just taking things as they come and really trying to listen. He goes, no, 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 there's something deeper. He spent two hours with me on a whiteboard to just kind of process a flow and ask me questions about my past. And I'm so grateful that he did that because out of that became first an idea that I could write a book. Because hmm. think about having a vision for our life, right? It, a vision uh, uh, always happens twice. First in our head and then in reality. Okay, anything that you've ever purchased was an idea in somebody's head at some point before it was something you could buy. No different than our life. Then um, I started interviewing people. I'm like, well, I don't know how to write a book. And my left eye is blind from the accident. It's hard for me to read. I can't work full time coming out of the accident. I literally could work eight or 10 hours in a week. And I had no resources to go like hire. A I interviewed some ghostwriters, um, very expensive. Not saying it's right or wrong, but for me, where I was at the time, not a fit. And I've done a lot of podcasts and I've written some blog posts. So I ended up um, working with a writing consultant who really helped me. I flew down to Dallas and we spent an entire day together. It was awesome. You know, with the, you know, the pieces of paper, you know, the big ones you stick up and we drew everything and moved it around and like come up with the whole flow. Cause I had like so much in my head. I didn't know how to like quiet the noise to actually say, okay, here's a, here is the big idea that runs through the thread that runs through this entire book. I knew that. I knew what I wanted people to have a takeaway of when they got done reading the book, but how to get from here to there when you're going to write. That's what Anne helped me with. And then we put it all together and it was this collaboration. I would write, she would edit, she would take um, stuff that I'd written before and make it better, make it more usable. And then, uh, so it was this whole back and forth process um, that was honestly so much fun. And then the, something that was really cool because it really struck me. I, I reached out when I had a draft, I reached out to ten, 10 good friends of mine. They're all very business, very busy business owners. And I said, would you mind reading this or reading even just a chapter? And just, I would love your feedback. And here, and I was actually, I don't just ask for broad feedback. I think that's not helpful. I actually directed them. I said, I want you to know if you, as each chapter, if you know what the big idea through the book is, if you understand what the idea of each chapter is and how it links into the big idea, and if the stories and kind of application exercises pull you, relate to you as, a, as the reader, as a person, and, and help you move forward. So I was very specific with the feedback I asked. And I got to tell you, 10 out of 10 of those folks gave me, most of them read the entire book. And then we incorporated all that feedback. There were some people who said, well, this makes sense and this doesn't, and I love this. And yeah, that one, not so much, but it could be great if, but you know, you kind of have to filter all that through because some people loved a certain section, some people didn't work for, and then you got to make a choice. Um, but just the whole process um, was awesome. So now I, you know, I had COVID, so 
and all the stuff I've been through. I think the next book, other than purpose, I think I should write a book on resiliency. I think that might be, <laughs> so that might be book number two. Roger. That'll be an award winner for sure, John. <laughs> wow. Well, look, there's so much more I'd, I'd like to talk to you about. I know we're short on time. You have a ball game to get to your son's first game where participants could be there out of COVID. So that's an important uh, place to be. Um, I'd love to have you back. I want to know a little bit about your past as a fighter pilot. And I think this is worthy of a two-part series. So if I'd you love to come back. Come I've back, really enjoyed talking with you. Okay, that'll be great. I do have one last question before I let you go. I ask every guest at the end of the day, and we talked about this a little bit, so I'd love to round it out with this answer. At the end of the day, you have a lot of life to live. What do you want your legacy to be? Mm. I, my legacy was I was that person that came that I want people to remember once I'm gone that came alongside them, saw the truth of who they were, believed in them more than they believed in themselves, connected them to who they were and their purpose so that they could bring it out in the world and live a life that they were just excited about. Like so many of those amazing men and women that have sewed into me in my life, laying in that hospital bed, I realized that didn't describe me. And those people had such a huge impact on me. Could I live my life to be somebody like that? And you know, the cool thing about that, that is to equip and inspire people to, you know, to actually accomplish what's been inspired in them is, you know what? It doesn't matter how old I am. That doesn't have an end date. It doesn't perish I could do that at 92. I could do that at 100. And that honestly is a big part of my true north and, and how I say yes and no. Just awesome. John Ram said, welcome to the American Real Family. You are a true inspiration. And uh, I'm so glad uh, you came on today. And best of luck with your book. And we'll have you on again. I would love to. And thank you. And uh, on purpose, with purpose, if people want to come and get it and check it out. We'd love to have you as part of, uh, you know, reading this thing. So. And for the Thanks, best Roger. place to, uh, for people to reach you, where should they go? Your website? Oh, just uh, go to beyondinfluence.com and everything about the book is beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. We're just, we just try to make it simple. Awesome. And we'll put yeah. the link in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks, Roger. Keep knocking them alive, brother. Love what you're doing. And I love your background with the flag and the, the cool stuff back there. You're uh you know, we, uh, too bad we don't live closer. I could just see us sitting in the back, the backyard or on the fire pit, having amazing conversations deep into the night with uh, other like-minded people. So, well, let's, let's make it a, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen at some point. You'll be invited here to New York. That's for sure. Deal. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You could reach me through Instagram or Facebook or 
or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.